glad that you're here. I know some of you have never been here before. It's a new year. Maybe you're checking out the church. Um, you're not sure what we believe. So I want to give you a heads up. The first few minutes of this sermon are not endorsed by me or this church. All right? Just, are you tracking with me? All right, here we go. It's a story I read this last week and I thought I would share with you about, uh, we have kids in here, so the kids can really track with this and so can the older kids. Uh, a frog fell into a bucket of milk and he was stuck. And as much as he tried, he could not jump over the sides of the bucket, right? Because he couldn't get any leverage. He couldn't get his feet to push off of anything. And so he was doomed. All he can do was paddle. Paddle, paddle, paddle. Paddle, 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 paddle. And after paddling for a really long time, this frog was able to paddle and churn a pad of butter. And then he was able to get some leverage, push off, and jump out of the bucket of milk. And this story is a great illustration of the fact that if you try hard enough, you can do whatever you want. Yes, even you. If you work hard enough, give it enough effort, you can do whatever you want. And since we're in church, we thought we'd make this a little bit more spiritual and quote a Bible passage. So I'm going to give you a, one of the most famous Bible passages ever. God helps those who help themselves. And it's in your Bible, if you want to turn to the book of Oprah, <laughs> chapter 3, verse 16. It's right there. Okay, so that's over with. Now listen, listen, listen. I'm not busting on Oprah. I'm not. Because reality is, this is the dominating ethos of most people in the world. It's the default of the human heart. It's, it, it even carries over to belief into the afterlife that if we give enough effort and work, then we'll go to heaven one day because God will help those who help themselves. Even people who may mention Jesus may mention that Jesus does his part. We do our part. And when it's all said and done, we're in. But let me tell you something. This concept of God helps those who help themselves is never going to work because of who God is and who we are. God is absolutely holy, and we are sinful, and it won't work. And we're going to elaborate on that today as we jump back into the book of Romans. So let's go ahead and turn to the book of Romans. We have been in Romans for several months now, and today we are finishing up chapter 3. I'm moving into chapter 4. And if you're with us last week, we asked two questions. Let me put the questions up for you again. What is true? What are we supposed to do? And last week, we studied the most famous paragraph in the Bible, Romans 3, 21 through 26, and we saw that Jesus Christ has established justification, redemption, and propitiation. Big words. That we've been declared righteous in Christ. We are now accepted by the Father. Remember that? We've been redeemed from the bondage of sin and Satan through the finished work of Christ. And Jesus was our propitiation. He was that sacrifice who turned away the wrath of God from us. And so to sum up last week, what is true? The gospel of Jesus Christ is true. Now as we move into this week, the question is, what are we supposed to do? 
in response to that gospel. It's not going to be hard. It's very simple. Let me put it to you this way. You are to believe. You're to embrace this gospel by faith and receive salvation as a gift. So let's sum it up like this. I'll put it up for you. You're to approach God through faith in his work, not faith in your own work. Now, that's generally where we're going. But kind of a little, as a side here, this is, this is what I'm going to talk about for real. Right, ready? I want you to stop striving. I want you to stop hiding. What we do as humans, especially with God, we think, you know, God, if I could be a good boy, a good girl, I can do my work, then you'll accept me and we'll feel good. But then when we fall into sin, many of us hide. You won't confess. You won't tell, your, tell anybody about it. You won't confess to God. You'll hide in your sin. And then if you think you've dealt with that, then you'll go back to striving. And then you'll slip back into hiding. And back and forth you go. And you know this pattern. It's like a little circle and pattern you go in. You know what I'm talking about. So today, let's be done with striving to get God to accept us. And let's stop hiding in our sin from God. This is where we're going today. It's going to be amazing. And, and, you know, they've told uh, me as a pastor and many preachers that what we need to do is we need to put the cookies on the lower shelf so you can get them and understand them. But my brothers and sisters, we come to church because we want to know God's word, and it's going to require us to dig. So I'm going to put the cookies way up high. You've got to come up there and get them. But we want you to understand this gospel, okay? So let's not tune out as much as you pay attention to other things you do in your life. Pay attention here. Let's, let's dive into God's word. It's going to be some difficulties at times, but let, let's try to understand what God wants us to know about his gospel of grace, okay? Let's do that. Romans 3. Romans 3, starting in verse 27. Paul says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We saw last week that this justification is a legal metaphor, remember, where God declares a person righteous in his sight through faith in Jesus Christ. God is the judge, and he declares sinners righteous through faith in Christ. They stand before him clothed in Christ's righteousness. And what this does is it rules out boasting. And the reason why Paul is emphasizing this over and over and over again is because he's going after the self-righteous Jew who thinks that he can stand right before God due to his adherence to the law. The self-righteous Jew would believe in grace, but grace plus works to get in with good with God. The self-righteous Jew would most likely affirm the reality that God helps those who help themselves. That would be their own reality. God helps those who help themselves. That's what the self-righteous Jew And what this does, if you believe in grace plus works, it leaves room for boasting. That you want to boast before God. I get into your presence because I have done these laws. And let me just tell you this. If you can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, and you can keep the law of God perfectly, boast all you want. But you can't. We all fall short of the glory of God, and a person is declared righteous before God through faith in Jesus Christ alone not based upon their works. So a big statement we could say is that justification is not by effort, but by faith alone. 
Even faith is not a work, but it's the means by which you simply receive the gift. So let's get a little, you know how sometimes you're in, you're in small groups or ethos communities, you know that person that always asks that diversionary tactic question, takes you down the rabbit trail, and as a leader, you're freaking out. Like, who is this person distracting me and the rest of the group? So I'm going to be that person right now. Let's ask this question. Why did God choose faith alone as the means for, in the way for justification? Why was it faith? Why didn't he say the humble person by humility alone you'll be justified or by compassion alone you'll be justified or if you're a loving person you'll be justified or how about this how about the wise person will be justified? why was it faith alone why did god set it up that way that's a great theological question to ask and one of the one of my favorite theologians is a guy named wayne grudem and he actually asks that question and gives one of the best answers. So I, I hate giving you big quotes, but this morning I'm going to. I even put it in your U version. So let's look at this. Why is faith alone the means for justification? And here's his answer. So good. It is apparently because faith is the one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. That's good. He continues. When we come to faith... To Christ in faith, we essentially say, I give up. Here's a great definition of faith. I will not depend on myself or my good works any longer. I know that I can never make myself righteous before God. Therefore, Jesus, I trust you. Depend on you completely to give me a righteous standing before God. That is beautiful. That is wonderful. And I, I, I am unable to be so eloquent. So I'm going to put it this way. Faith kills pride. Faith kills pride and boasting because it is not about your good works, but about God's. Now, we'll come back to this in a moment. So just take a quick pause and look at verses 29 and 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Now, this one way of salvation for Jews and Gentiles through Jesus, Paul's going to elaborate on this next week further in chapter 4. Paul will bring stuff up earlier in Romans and elaborate on it later. He does the same with verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law concept of the Christian upholding the law. We'll come back to it again in chapter 6 and 7. But today, he's going to hone in on this contrast, this contrast between boasting in works and being justified by faith. Boasting in works and being justified by faith. And in order to do this, he's going to give this great example of Father Abraham. Abraham. Now, he's going to use Abraham as a test case. Why? Because many of the Jews believe that Abraham was the ultimate one who could prove that justification is by works. Abraham, he leaves all his pagan idolatry behind. He starts following the one true God all the way to the point of sacrificing or willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. So they held up Abraham of the man as the one of the great example that we are justified by our works. And so if Paul can show the Jews, the self-righteous Jews, that the great Abraham was justified by 
faith, then he can prove that all of us can only be justified by faith as well. So it's a great argument that he's making. It's wonderful, and I, and I like the way he lays it out. He's going to spend all chapter 4 doing it. And so let's go ahead and jump in and look at this great test model case of Abraham in chapter 4. Look at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, this according to the flesh is a reference to Abraham's own effort. If it is by effort and good works that Abraham could get in good with God, then he could boast and brag all he wanted. Let's just kind of pause here and think about boasting and bragging. I would say most people in here, if you're an honest person, you struggle with arrogance. You struggle with pride. Yeah? Anybody? I mean, it really is all about you and how awesome you are. And I just want to tell you, I struggle as well. And just to out myself to you on how much I struggle, I'm going to do something that I've only done once before, and that was last service. So this is the second time I've done this because I want to make the focus all about me. Because who are you looking at right now? Huh? Yeah. Right? You're, you're, li- you're looking at me right now, so you must be giving me attention because it's all about me. And so I, th- I think the appropriate thing to do is to take a selfie. <laughs> this isn't, I, I don't do these ever, second time. But I think if I could take a selfie with you in the background, it will prove that it's all about me. So you ready to go? For those of you, look at all those people looking at me. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah? Here's the deal. That's the way we roll. It's about us. I mean, it's really hard to speak in this context because I understand you're smart. I understand you've made great achievements and great strides to be where you're at today. You've pulled out a lot of stuff. You've had these great achievements and these great accomplishments. And and you're you're pretty awesome in the things that you've done from your job to school and some of your parents. You have kids. But... This is why we have a problem with the Bible's message. Because the Bible's message says this, and I'm sorry to tell you, but you ready? It goes like this. You are not awesome. Your parents lied. Oh, you know what I mean. Of course, you're awesome in that way. But no, you're not. Before a holy God. You, you are sinful. You have fallen short of the, the glory of God. You cannot strive to gain acceptance with God. And if you think you can, that is such arrogance and it's pride and it's boasting. And that's why we come back to faith. Because faith kills pride and boasting. Because it's not about your good works, but about God's. And even the great Abraham, Abraham, He's not taking selfies. The great Abraham is not making it about his works, but about God's, and he's justified through faith alone. Look at verse 3. Amazing. Look at verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is a quote from Genesis 15, 6, and let me kind of leave you a little context of this, this quote because I think it's very important to understand that at this time, Abraham was financially well off. He was a blessed man of God. He had God's favor. 
He had God's protection. He had God's promise that he would have many descendants and that God was going to make him into a great nation. Yet Abraham, during this interaction with God, was troubled. He was troubled because he didn't have a son. There was no heir. He was old and advanced in years, and the only heir potential he could have was a member of his own household, a a servant, but he had no son. And for you, you might not think this is a big deal unless you watch Downton Abbey. If you watch Downton Abbey, you understand the importance of an heir. So for those of you who are tracking through the early seasons, close your ears. The reality is everyone is waiting for Mary to have a son, and she does, right? And so the heir has come. But the angst that Abraham has here is between him and God. God says, you're going to have an heir, you're going to have all these descendants, like the sand of the sea, like the stars and the sky. And he's given him this promise that this is what's going to happen. And then we have this wonderful, wonderful quote here in Genesis 15, 6 that Paul mentions. He says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's the first time in the Bible you have the word believe. (laughs) And it's connected with righteousness. So Abraham doesn't exert effort, but it simply says, okay, God, I believe that's what you're going to do. And the Bible says it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. For those of you who are accountants or bookkeepers, you kind of know this terminology that Abraham's faith in the promise of God is the grounds for God to count him and credit him with righteous standing before him. It's not inherent within himself. It comes outside of himself. God sees the faith in response to his promise and counts him and credits him with righteousness. Not because of good works, because of faith. Faith has always been the way of salvation in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't do a little switcheroos. Faith, faith, faith. And even today, it's faith alone and the finished work of Christ that one day, will be counted righteous in God's sight. Today, and when we see him face to face, we're justified in the present through faith, and when we see him, we'll be accepted forever. Now, I've done this two times before, I think, in the history of my preaching over the last 16, 17 years, and so I'm going to do this again, so it may kind of throw you off a bit, but here we go. Right now, we're about to take a sermon timeout. I know you're getting ready for the big game today, so you can relate. Sermon timeout. Here we go. I'm going to branch out a bit and talk about this. There's something in your Bibles that you may think that contradicts the truth that we just see. And it comes from the book of James. And you may think that James is saying that we are justified, declared righteous through works. Let me give you the passage. This is from James chapter 2, verse 21 and 24. James says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Uh Uh-oh. When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What do you do with that? In two years, I'm preaching through the book of James. Come back then. (laughs) 
No, no, let's try to give it a shot now. We put something on the city to our social networking for our church, this real long, elaborate thing. So I'm just going to give it to you really brief. We have a little quote here from Genesis, you know, the same one that Paul was quoting. But the conclusion reached by James is that not justified by faith alone, but justified by works. Is there a biblical contradiction? The context is important. If you read James 2, the argument that he is making is that mental assent alone to certain facts is not true faith. So you can give mental assent to justification, propitiation, redemption, and say, oh, yes, I agree with these things. But that's not saving faith. Mental assent alone can be done by demons, James argues, but they're not saved. Real and true faith, get this, will act on what it believes. So what we have here, this terminology of justification. And James is using the word justified in a different sense than the way Paul is using it. Paul is using it the way that means to declare righteous. And James is using it to mean show to be righteous. And so the context supports both of these arguments because James refers to it an event later in Abraham's life when he's willing to sacrifice Isaac. That act alone shows, shows that his faith is legit. It shows that he is righteous. It is not a declaration that he is righteous based upon that act. So keep those two contexts in mind. Continue to study them. True faith is working faith. Paul says we're saved by faith alone, not works. And James is arguing that true faith will act, not a contradiction. Come back in two years for more details. Time in. Back to Romans. Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Your employer is never going to pay you for playing solitaire all day. If they do, we need to talk. You just can't mess around all day on the computer and your, and your employer's going to go, are, are, did you have fun playing on the computer all day? And you say, yes, here's your paycheck as a gift. Never going to happen that way. You have to earn your paycheck. It's the way it works in life. For those of you who are in Northwestern, can you imagine Northwestern coming up to you and saying, you know what, you never went to classes and you did none of the work. But here's your diploma. No, it's not going to work like that. You're not going to get your diploma as a gift. You have to work for it. And for those of you who are single in here, single guys who have your eye on a certain uh, girl that you are interested in, a godly woman that you would like to date and perhaps marry one day, but you are too chicken to ask her out, can you imagine that girl coming up to you one day and saying, you know what? You've not wooed me. You've not wowed me. But I choose you as my forever love. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. You've you got to work for her hand in marriage, right? You get it, you know, right? So most things in life require effort. Salvation is not like that because God is holy and we are sinful. And one of the best verses in the Bible, verse 5, look at it. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. 
So salvation is not gained by effort, but it's received as a gift by faith. And God's not saying, get it together. Come on, be godly. But you can just go ahead and circle, underline, highlight these three words. Even in the Pew Bible, it says, justifies the ungodly. That's beautiful. So through faith in Jesus, he counts or he credits the ungodly sinner righteous as they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You get that. You don't have to get your, you think, I've got to get my act together. Remember that old school hymn, Just As I Am, Just As I Am. Come on, come on. Come to him, sinner. Put your faith in him, and he will declare you righteous. He is the one that justifies the ungodly. So justification is not by effort by faith alone. Now, as a bonus, we move into overtime. Because Paul's been talking about Abraham, but as a bonus, he throws in David. And the reason why he does this is because the Jews held up King David as this great, godly king. The one has done great things. And Paul's going to say, even King David is not justified by works, but by faith. And he's going to introduce this idea of what I would call a repentant faith. And when we start talking about repentance, don't think that this means that faith and repentance are these radically different things. No, hold them together. It is a repentant faith. If you believe in Jesus, you will be turning away from sin and putting your faith in Christ. A repentant faith. And we kind of get that idea here with David. This is a wonderful, wonderful way to finish. Look at verses 6 through 8. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count to sin. Scripture quotation from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2. David is saying a person is blessed by God, not because of their good works, because their sins have been, you see it there, forgiven. The idea is that the Lord will not hold his sins against them. And do you see the accounting language there again, the bookkeeping language then in verse 8? Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You see, one aspect of justification is not having your sins counted against you. That bookkeeping thing, you with me on that? It's like, it's like the justification coin. On, on, on this side, you don't have your sins counted against you. You're forgiven. They're washed away. And the other side of the justification going is that you are declared righteous in the righteousness of Christ. And what Paul is bringing up here is David, this concept of having our sins not counted against us. I liken it to the idea of store credit. Let's say I go into Walmart and I go to the dreaded returns department of Walmart. If you've ever been in that line, you know what I mean. And let's say I'm going to return to Walmart everything that I've ever bought my entire life. So I show up at Walmart with old, worn-out clothes, banana peels, old VCRs, if you know what those are, and hundreds and thousands of dirty diapers that I've used on my kids throughout the years. I show up at Walmart with all this stuff. And Walmart says, we'll take it all back. 
In addition, we'll give you unlimited store credit. Now move it over to God. We have wrecked our lives before a holy God. We have spurned him. We've taken his ways and his laws, and we have spit on them. And through faith in Christ, he says, I'll put all of your sin on Jesus, and I'm not going to count it towards you anymore. But I will credit and count his righteousness to you. And so not only are you forgiven, but you now stand with perfect righteousness. And David says, that's the blessed life. But get this. The blessing wasn't his until he repented. Stick with me here. This is so important. The blessing wasn't his until he repented. He didn't give mental assent and say, God, I know that you are a forgiving God. So let me branch out a bit and show you the context of Psalm 32. Beautiful. Let me put it up for you. Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5. David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you. He's turning the corner here. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. You know the story, right? David commits adultery. Bathsheba. He has it covered up with murder. Then he covers up with lies. And in his sin, he's wasting away. But get this, what does David do? Does David go, you know what? I've done a lot of bad things for God, so now I need to do a lot of good things so I can make it even up, and hopefully God will let me in. He doesn't say, maybe I should do some good works now. Maybe I should start keeping this law and this law, and then God will accept me. Maybe I could try to earn favor with God. He doesn't try to do any of that self-effort stuff, no striving at all. In fact, one of the greatest repenting psalms in the Bible, he says this in Psalm 51. This is what David says in Psalm 51. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. I love this. David has nothing to offer God, right? He is blown and he's sinned for a holy God. He cannot make that up. And so what he does, he basically quits. He gives up. And he repents, and he throws himself on the mercy of God, and he is forgiven. It's that repentant faith. So I'll share this with you, that faith confesses sin and receives forgiveness. Faith confesses specific sin and receives forgiveness. We all like to confess sin, (laughs) Getting specifics not much fun, is it? This past Tuesday, we have elder meetings at our church where we pray. Elders pray. We're trying to lead the church. We're going to pray for the church. And before we start the prayer process, we always talk about what's going on, and we do a little devotional. And one of the things we talked about this week is the importance for elders to be honest, honest about what's going on in their lives, sharing 
what they're struggling with, maybe even confessing sins. Because guess what? If the elders of the church are not being open and honest and are not confessing sins and issues they have, you won't either. So we talked about how we do not need to deceive ourselves as elders. We don't need to be tricking ourselves as elders. That there is forgiveness and grace for the leaders of the church who repent and come to Christ for grace and forgiveness. It's true for us and it's true for all of you. That's why I think it's important to confess specific sin. I mean, not to everybody, of course. You don't have to do that. But be open with God and those who are trusted, be open with them. So I'm going to set up here in the end a little scenario that I see happen within the church. And if this is busting you, let it bust you. Let's just say that someone comes to see me, the pastor, in my church office because they're having some big problems in their lives, big issues. This, I don't want to say this happens all the time, but this happens more often than I'd like. So they're coming to see me, and let's just say that this person is involved with sexual morality, like David. And then they're not involved in murder to cover it up, but they're covering up through lies and deception. In fact, this person who's coming to see me in the office, let's just go ahead and call them David. So David comes to see me in the office, and I know he's in sexual sin, and he's covering it up. And he comes to see me, and David says to me, he says, you know, Pastor, I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling weary. I'm feeling worn out. I feel like I've got all these problems in my life. And I say, David, what's going on, man? Tell tell, tell me what's happening. And, And David says, you know what? I have all this stress in running my little kingdom. Yeah? I say, oh, David, I'm sorry about that. What, what else is going on? He says, you know, I have these conflicts in my family. I'm having some problems. Um, and I'm fishing here. I'm saying, okay, David, what, what else is going on? And he says, oh, and I'm struggling financially. You know, my money's just not there. They're tight and they cause a lot of conflicts. And, and I say, oh, okay, sorry, David. What, what else? Nothing else. That's it. He never talks about his sin. He's concealing the main problem. And yet he wants to be fixed. Some of you are talking to God right now about things that God does not want to talk about. You're saying, God, I want to know your will. Show me your future. I want to see what you want me to do. Show me this grand will and plan for my life. God, I'm I'm having some hurts here. Heal my hurts. And and yet you're never, ever talking about your sin. And God's like, I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. What's going on? Tell me what's going on in your secret life, your secret sins that you're hiding from me. Quit hiding my brothers and sisters, the good news is that when we will confess and repent, there's forgiveness, there's grace. The prodigal's welcomed back, yeah? There's not this crushing, condemning, no. That's why Jesus died. So why would you want to hide when you can receive grace and forgiveness? We've got to move away from this striving to gain acceptance and then going into hiding and then going back to struggle. We've got to be just be done with that. It's not the gospel. It's not where grace and forgiveness are to be had. So what I want to do is end on a note of prayer, a prayer that believers and unbelievers can pray. If you're a believer, I want you to pray this prayer if you want to. 
And if you're an unbeliever who wants to start following Jesus, you can pray this prayer as well, because I think it's very applicable to those who have spent their lives striving and hiding and still get stuck in these patterns. And we can just come back to faith in Jesus. Let me share this prayer with you. It goes like this. Lord, I give up. I'm tired of striving and hiding. I repent and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. If you want to pray that prayer, just pray in your heart today. I'm going to go to a time of prayer, and you can cry out to God and receive his grace. Let's pray. Go ahead and tell God right now in your heart, in your mind, I give up. Give up on being Lord of your own life. Give up on trying to control everything. Give up on trying to strive to make everything happen. Give up on trying to earn your way to salvation by self-effort. Just give up. It's wearing you out and wearing you. Just give up in his presence. He's Lord. He is Lord. And if there's anyone in here hiding, hiding in your sin, confess your sin to God and you will be healed. You receive this blessing of forgiveness that David talks about. Forgiveness in Jesus. Your sin was on Jesus on the cross. It bore the wrath of God in your place. Confess your sin, whatever it is. Even us who've been walking with Jesus for many years can continue to confess. Even right now, go ahead and confess your sin to God. Lord, we want to rejoice in the salvation we have in Christ alone. Your work, bearing our sin, not counting it against us any longer but crediting us with the righteousness of Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.